is that a black shaker? Is that just the lid? Is that That's like just an oxy the... Yeah, no, it's just shaker. A, it's, yeah, it's, what is that brand? They make all the kitchen oxy. stuff. Yeah, oxy. Oh, yeah, oxo. oxo. Yeah, whatever. Oxo. oxo. Not oxy. We say Oxy's. oxy. Oxycontin. Oxy's. Oxy are the pills. Oxy are the pills. <laughs> Hi, I'm Maya Garantz. And I'm Rebecca Cohen. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. This is really exciting. I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm really excited. This is right going to be great. Oh um, my God. <laughs> we're going to be ruining the Pope. <laughs> we're going to be ruin- yes. ruining Catholicism, but not really us, Maya, because you and I, Jewish girls, we don't really have the qualifications to ruin the Catholic Church. So we have a very special guest who's going to be joining us. Oh my god, the most special. (laughs) Do you want to say who it is? I can't. I'm like, uh, you do it. You do it. That's too much. TVs and films, Julia Sweeney. (laughs) Actress, comedian, performer, author exactly and longtime fan of the sauce and supporter i'm a patreon exactly so (gasps) did you know i knew that i think i learned under my married age maybe i do i don't know anyway i'm a supporter so so patron now we're not having her on because she's a patron (laughs) we're having her on you're just a supporter you can come on well you have to pay a lot more monthly for that you said that your your mother-in-law might come on if she ends up paying 50 dollars a month then we're gonna have your mother-in-law all right we'll see we'll see so welcome julia we are so so excited to have you here Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We are also excited to talk about this topic because, well, so many reasons, because your whole relationship with Catholicism and with religion, you've been very public about it. It's all very interesting. Before we dive into all of that, though, we've got to check in. Uh, Julia, how are you doing and what are you drinking? Oh, I'm drinking. I'm drinking. (laughs) I'm drinking a Quartz Reviver. Because nice. I thought that would be good. Maybe that's what Jesus gave right. Lazarus. <laughs> Maybe that's what he needed himself mm, at a that's certain moment. Absolutely yeah. correct. Maybe I, that's what God gave to him. And also, I I do want to say, so Julie and I got to meet once before, and she told me that throughout quarantine, she and her family have been getting way into cocktails in this yes. totally new way where there's like a I saw book. the photo of your oh, cocktail yes. it's not even a cocktail cabinet or whatever it's a bookshelf you have an entire like oh yes yes we took over one whole bookshelf and it's only that's alcohol amazing now. it looked and yes. I will say as a person who likes to drink the concentration on the cocktails over the last year and a half has made me drink overall less because I think about it all day and it's a big event, you know, like it's not just go have some wine and keep drinking it. It's like, I have a cocktail. There's the ingredients. Where am I getting them? When am I? And it's at five o'clock. We're going to have it. Like it's, it's actually been a helpful. It's kind of like when they say the French people stay thin despite having all that rich food because they like think about their food. Yes. They take care with it. Exactly. And there's also something else. So I've, long had this debate with Rebecca that we've chatted about mostly offline about like 
What is it with the drinking in our podcast? I don't think that our conversation is meaningfully improved by us getting drunk because we don't get sloppy with it. We stay just as sharp when we're drunk. So what's the point? And Julia actually gave me the 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 only justification that oh. has ever really worked for me. And now I've doubled down what on us it? drinking during the <laughs> podcast. You said... Because it's a celebration. You're saying that it's yes. a party. You're saying like, this is a time when we're getting together, we're having a good time. And it made me realize that that's why even though we're these like angry radical feminists, we have all these like male fans. Because <laughs> we're saying like, hey, you're welcome here. We're yes. just partying. We're getting into don't it. Don't be threatened. We don't want to like hit yeah. you and kid. Don't be threatened. Have we're a drink. Drinking. Exactly. Into, yeah. <laughs> we're just a couple of radical drunk girls. <laughs> Yeah, that's no it. power. That's it. And we're <laughs> exactly. all here to party. We can't yeah. do well, anything. Well, I did used to think for performing that one drink before I went on stage made me better, and two drinks made me worse than no drinks. Mm. Well, well it's kind of like fun. that. Uh, yeah. Two two drinks helps me sleep, but three drinks makes me not able to sleep. Yes, well. exactly. You, you got to find the right level. But what are you guys drinking? What a great question! Oh, I'm having. I guess it's a Sazerac sour. Oh. It's cognac and rye and a, a little bit of absinthe and then lemon juice and egg white. It's very attractive and it's in a really nice glass. It's a coupe yes. glass, but it's a very wide, it's like a wide, shallow yeah. coupe glass. Like I think Dita Von Teese is right. going to do a yeah, routine. Yeah, that may happen it. later this yeah. evening. How about you, Maya? <laughs> what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a Cafe Nacional because the other week I realized I had this apricot uh, liqueur that I bought just for it. And I took a sip of the liqueur by itself and it was like <laughs> awful. It was like cough syrup. And yet, uh, when I drink it in this cocktail, it's so good. And I had one last container of pineapple juice. So I was like, we're rocking it tonight and it's very tasty. Uh, and I batched it. Yeah. In my, very smart. In my Yeti Batching. Cooler. Yeah. So, all right, guys, I, I feel like we have a lot to talk about, so I kind of yes, want to just get into it. All right, let's just dive in. So, Julia, you have a very public relationship with Catholicism. I do want to be, just remind our listeners, like, go on YouTube and find one of my favorite SNL scripts, <laughs> skits, where it's you in confession oh, yeah. with Alec Baldwin as the hot priest. It's so fucking good. That was so much fun. Oh, my God. I don't that think I've seen that one. Oh, that was based really, on all truth. Really when I was good. at my Catholic girls' high school, Father Boley arrived, who was the most beautiful man. <laughs> we were all Father Boley, Father Boley. And I remember saying to my mom, Father Boley, he's so handsome. And she said, God takes only the best. Which I thought, really? What about Father O'Brien? <laughs> But <laughs> um, Father Bully was there. And then he, we had the, a new type of confession called reconciliation where you could see the priest while you confessed, which when it was a really handsome priest really changed the dynamic of the confessional. I would imagine. <laughs> That's what that was based on. So, so you've, you've done performance about your relationship with yeah. religion with catholicism you're a very public religious yes. skeptic and yet your van's license plate <laughs> is mea culpa it's actually mea culp there's because there's space 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 space. For the a. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't do the whole word. Um, <laughs> I know my husband said, if you get in an accident, you're already apologizing before you get out of the car. And I'm like, well, they say I not to do it. that for insurance purposes, but actually I was just, I was just at the DMV actually just making stuff up to see what I could come up with that might be funny. And I thought Mia Culpa won't be available. And then Mia Culpa was, and then I couldn't not do it. <laughs> so the point is that, that clearly, and I noticed on your tweets and the, the tweet that made me finally be like, oh, she's got to come on the show. You were talking about reading Metamorphosis by Ovid. And you said, seems every other page, a god rapes a young virgin. Do Christians think, yeah, these are all fanciful fabrications. But when Yahweh impregnated Mary, that was real. <laughs> do, I forgot do, I they, do they think God inspired inspired their fake stories before? Oh, he of course. Really did well, I mean, God's Mary. impregnating yeah. what beautiful women is everywhere. I mean, I mean that's been around for so long. I mean, so so there's, there's so, a continuation. So, so there's yes. this thing where like like you are you are still wrestling with it. It's not like you're like I'm done with Catholicism. Like you're still wrestling with it, engaging with it, talking about it, writing about traditional Catholics, tweeting about it. So so you know stuff. You're thinking about. Oh this yeah, stuff. I think about it a lot. And in, in fact, because I still have about eight girlfriends that I've known since grade school that I've still talked to a lot and get together with a lot. And um and I would say, I think two of us have are not Catholic anymore. But the rest are no three of us. Well, it's hard to say with a couple of people, but and some of them are very conservative. Some of them have eight children mm. because they did not use birth control. Mm. Um, and so mm. I am in contact with them and it's very present in my life. And um, but I would say I think about Catholicism more than any of these people do. I mean, like and I'm an atheist, like but I find it so fascinating everything about the Catholic church is unbelievably fascinating to me, even though there are times when I'm just so sick of it and I'm so angry with it. And it's so obviously a diabolical, you know, organization, <laughs> although I don't believe in the devil like Pope Francis does. Um, but, but um, I'm into, that into it. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's really fascinating. And I have a huge amount of affection for it. Well, and that's one thing that I noticed. We did an episode on cults, and I was like, there are three documentaries about this Nexium cult, which maybe had, yeah. you know, a couple hundred followers yeah. max, right. right? There are a lot, but there are like many thousands and millions of like times more oh, yeah. Catholics than that. And yet we kind of don't no. talk about it in the same way. So what is that? Well, what just, is I mean, that? forget about the world. Just in the U.S., um, only about... 20 to 25 percent of people say they're catholic and or former catholic that includes everyone so i would be in that category and yet you know six of nine and really seven of nine because gorsuch was raised catholic are members of the supreme court there it's a huge different like 50 percent of people in office are from a catholic background like it's a mm. huge disproportionate influence on american politics catholicism and there's reasons for it um, and yet it, it doesn't really represent the will of all people. And it's becoming less and less a part of the American culture. There's, you know, fewer and fewer people are part of a Catholic church or going to mass. So 
that's interesting to me, but people seem to be still obsessed with Catholicism. There's still movies about the Vatican. There's still people, you know, all the horror films about nuns. I mean, like the, the iconography of Catholicism is completely in our culture everywhere. And it's really from Catholicism, like the priests, the exorcisms, the nuns, the pedophilia thing, like all of the sexual, you know, part of it. It's such a huge part of our culture. And I find it really interesting. That's it's so funny that you say that, because the one kind of horror movie that my husband is like, I can't do it is like religious ones. (laughs) Like, can't like those are the ones where he's like. I can't. Was I can't. he was he raised Catholic? Matt? His mom was Catholic. He didn't go to church that much, but it's like there's something yeah. about that stuff where he's yeah, like, because Matt no, no. Matt was yeah. raised Catholic, and oh. and he he finds those to be the scariest movies, like yeah. the Exorcist type of thing. Like it it just speaks to a really like deep seated, ingrained from the time he was yeah. very young fear, uh, you know, of that kind of stuff. Even though he's also, I guess, agnostic. Uh, however he would label it but he's definitely not a believer um but i i relate to what you're saying julia coming from a different perspective uh i i've always found catholicism kind of fascinating because it it's different from the other christian stuff coming from the perspective of someone raised jewish and, and so I, I was very much defined growing up my i'm sure you can relate is with like i am not christian that is not what i am But as I had more experiences, like I went to a family friend's first communion and, you know, you you get to know it and it's like um, Catholicism has all this ritual to it and structure that's very relatable, I think, for Jews. Well, it's very much like like when I went to my first bat mitzvah and bar mitzvah, I couldn't believe how much it was like a mass. Like to me, it Mm -hmm. seemed much closer to the mass and also the whole book thing of book, a book, oh, it's a yeah. book, it's a book. <laughs> yeah. Like the whole, like, it's a book. Can you stand it? Everything yeah. in it must be true because it's a book. Yes. <laughs> the word of the, God. It is the word, the word, of, God. word of God. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the, the book thing and um, yeah, the, using a different language, although I don't know if they yeah. do that in Catholic masses still, but like the stuff being in a different language and well, that's everything... Thing. That's a yeah. whole thing. That's a yeah. whole thing right now, which we're going to get into. It's just actually. interesting because I remember as a kid, because I went to I went to like a, a Jewish private schools through sixth grade or fifth grade. So when I started going to schools with kids of other religions, and I would ask them, "What religion are you?" and they'd be like, "Uh, I Christian, I guess." And I'd be like, "But what? But what kind? I know there's different kinds." And they wouldn't know. The only ones who knew were the Catholics. Yeah. And and Catholics who don't believe call themselves lapsed Catholics or former Catholics. They're not just like, oh, I'm an atheist. It's like, right. I'm a former Catholic because there's this sense of identity that it's sort of yes. part of who you are, which is also a lot like which Judaism. Is, and it's also very important. I mean, in some ways, in some ways, I wish I could write a letter to Pope Francis saying an atheist gives the Pope advice on how to save the church with affection. Mm. and and part of it is that the identity thing is real for all humans like it's really important and the catholic church really gives a pathway for that that people can really latch on to and that's not a bad thing it's just that it's too bad it stands for such crappy things but okay okay so so then let's start right here 
And I want you to start. So this is going to be like where the Jewish girls are like, explain okay, good. to us. And you're going to, and you're going to tell to. us. Let's and <laughs> Let's try. Explain Pope Francis to us because he seems like he's, he's a good guy. He seems like social yeah. justice Catholic. Like he seems like, oh, so Rebecca's going, well, he, yeah. maybe not. So explain, well, explain. How am I supposed to feel about Pope Francis? Let me see. He's a little <laughs> Chauncey Gardner-ish. Can I just say, I think the reason he got elected Pope is because he kind of is a little oblivious to what's going on in the church. He wasn't really conservative or liberal. He wasn't part of liberation theology in Latin America, which would have completely nixed him because he's way too liberal. And he also had been kind of sent off by some archbishop for something he had said to a small place. So he was kind of out of the way for a long time. And he seemed like this choice that was, and it probably was a good choice, you know, like that was in between the liberal faction in the Vatican and the conservative faction. Um, and I don't know how much people knew about him that much. And, and I actually am a Pope Francis fan. I'm pretty sure I would bet money that the next Pope will be very conservative. Um, hmm. And he isn't. And I feel like he's, his instincts are ones that I admire. He wants divorced people to be able to be Catholic. He wants to make it easier. He wants civil unions between gay couples, even though he doesn't think the Catholic Church should sanction it. He's um, he's really concerned about the environment and economics. Like so, all those things I share with him. I'm always happy when he's saying stuff about exploiting workers and poor people. Yeah. yeah, he even said a thing about like I just literature and art must not exploit slave labor. So like, like he was talking to an Italian author who's a romance novel writer, but the books are being <laughs> printed under slave-like conditions oh. in Pakistan. And he, and so he wrote, is it worth producing beauty thanks to the work of slaves? Like he yeah. just gets into- No, he says that. And actually that he can say really... that and get away with it just shows you how far the church has come vis-a-vis um, -vis capitalism. Because it used to be that Opus Dei or the Knights of Malta, if a Pope ever accidentally said something negative about capitalism, they had to retract it within 24 hours because of the business powers in the Knights of Malta and Opus Dei would get to them. And they, then the, like Pope, whatever it was, John Paul II would have to say, oh, but I'm not saying capitalism is bad. That's good. You know, they would have to take it back. So, so wait a second. So wait a second. Help oh. the Jewish girls. What is Opus Dei okay. and who are the Knights of Malta? Thank you. <laughs> okay. The Knights of Malta start after the French Revolution, the aristocracy lost out. They didn't like that. And they decided to form a group called the Knights of Malta that was basically ex-aristocrats that were arguing for the monarchy to be reinstated. And they liked the Catholic Church because it reinforced the hierarchy that they were benefiting from. And it had to be royal bloodlines for many years. But then there was all these Americans making a lot of money. And they decided in 1927 or something that you didn't have to have royal bloodlines anymore. You could just join the Knights of Malta if you were rich enough and you were invited. It's like a kind of quasi-secret society. A lot of American billionaire or rich people join, including like Joseph Kennedy, um, father of, you know, so that, that's how yeah. that got this big alignment with the Catholic Church. They got their own... If they're kind of, I think they still have their own area of Rome that's just theirs. They have their own currency. They had 
They started controlling the Vatican Bank. There's a lot of stuff there. But it was incredibly powerful businessmen who basically during the World Wars decided that fascism was preferable to communism, and which they called Bolshevism. So they didn't want communism because they would really lose out. They wanted fascism because the rich people could continue to enjoy their riches under fascism. So the Knights of Malta became very powerful. Then later, well, it started in Spain, Opus Dei. Opus Dei, think of that as like the middle-class version of Knights of Malta. You didn't have to be a rich person, but if you were just a regular guy, you could join Opus Dei and it means God's work, Opus Dei, but they became very powerful too. They have a lot of rituals involving whipping themselves and there's creepy shit with that, but, but they are also very, very powerful. And Opus Dei and Knights of Malta have had like, I think half the last CIA directors have all been members of either one. Like it's very much in Catholic society. I mean, it's why Reagan became governor. Anyway, there's all kinds of things. So Opus Dei and Knights of Malta have been like this secular-ish, aligned with the Vatican, Catholics, but not just Catholics, also very powerful other rich people who want to keep rich people privileged, who have really infiltrated and orchestrated this kind of neo-conservatism in the United States. And they're kind of, and they're, okay. they're not clandestine. It's not a secret society, but it's, you don't realize like William J. Casey, you don't realize all these people that were part of it and how, what they were doing behind the scenes, like the CIA through the Knights of Malta were teaching the people to, to do the coup, to put Pinochet in power and get Allende out, for example. They, like they don't want any socialist or communist Okay, thing. coming Coming from the uh, perspective of knowing absolutely nothing about these things at all how much of what you're saying is conspiracy theory and how well, much is like no actual well, there's certain things you know because i kept thinking don't like i always say to my husband i'm not a conspiracy theorist except the conspiracies that are true <laughs> right okay so i thought don't talk about i forget which pope it was pope john the sixth i think who only was pope for 30 days and people say he was killed i think he was killed I think the evidence is in. And even only two years ago, this person came forward with more evidence that the people in charge of the Vatican Bank, because apparently he died with in his hands, the list of the priests and the men who were in charge of the Vatican Bank that were going to be exposed because of the mon money laundering that they were doing with the mafia. They didn't want that to happen. But yeah, I would say the average person, if I said that, would say you're a crackpot. But right. if you even go to the Wikipedia page of that, <laughs> it has, I, mm -hmm. it seems like that's what happened. I mean, and of course, you don't know. Maybe it didn't. <laughs> right. But like, yeah. Is the Vatican Bank laundering money for the mafia? Well, not yes. I don't think anymore. Okay, let's get this back. <laughs> Yes. Were they? Yes. Well, are they? Yeah. Correct. I mean, okay. yeah. Let yes. me just give you, I'll give you a quick thing before we get to Francis, because actually I do like Francis a lot, Pope Francis. Mm -hmm. In 1870, the Italians decided that they were going to take away the lands from the Vatican, who the Pope was controlling everything, and create the state of Italy. And that meant that they didn't get money anymore. The Catholic Church didn't. So that by 1929, they were almost bankrupt, the Catholic Church. I mean, they really had nothing. But then Mussolini, who was trying to hold on to power, went to the Pope and said, let's make an agreement where I give you a billion dollars, basically, and 
actually, I think it was $100 million, not a billion. That's for paying you back for all the lands we took. And also in return of that money, you will tell your priests and bishops not to you know, vote for Mussolini. <laughs> so that agreement happened. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's, you can look that up in a history book. So they got $100 million. The Pope at the time gave it to a very astute businessman who invested it. Oh, he, he did this thing where he said, we don't have to necessarily invest in things that are more morally along the lines of the Catholic Church. We can just invest in anything. And he turned that money into a lot. Then in 1933, Hitler also came to the Pope and said, um, if, you, if we give you a tax on every Catholic in Germany, which is still in existence, by the way, um, you and you tell your priests not to allow me to go up the ranks, you know, um, we'll give you the money and you'll endorse Hitler, basically. That's a very huge distillation of what happened. It was more complicated, but it meant about $100 million a year from Germany to the Vatican. Suddenly the Vatican's wealthy. That didn't happen before. Hmm. And also it's aligned with fascists. And also Opus Dei and Knights of Malta are getting more powerful because rich people like the Catholic Church because they're defending the world against communism. So that's part of it. I don't want to overplay that part because actually a lot of it has lessened in power now. And, you know, it's, it's more complicated than I'm making it sound. It's actually quite complicated, but it's, there's ugly crap going on with the money in the Vatican. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Because also there's always ugly crap when people have a bunch of churches or access towards oh. manipulating power. But one thing that's so amazing about it is that at the same time as this is happening worldwide, in America, you have this, when you were talking about the percentage of Catholics in public office and in major public office, I was thinking about the ways that there was such an anti-Catholic bias in this country politically. Yeah. Right? Like that John Kennedy, yeah. JFK becoming president was a big fucking deal because he was Catholic and it might as well be a Jew running for, like in right. that moment, that's right. What it was the, like. But a lot of the uh, concern around that was that he would owe allegiance to the Pope, that, you know, he would, the Pope would tell him what to do. And I think it's really interesting that at some point between then and now, that fear completely went away. Obviously, yeah. right? I no think it's one because is the Pope's not that, that powerful. Yeah. And the business interests are. I mean, like, the truth is that he was more, you know, probably subject to the whims of the American aristocracy, basically the rich people, than he was the Pope. That's who he should have been saying that he wasn't following. But, you know, the Pope. Right. So, so then Pope Francis is allowed to be because he's, he's this sort of... Uh, Innocent, naive. Well, he's gotten sort of better. I mean, he has done some good political maneuvering like that have showed him becoming kind of hep to how to run an organization like the Catholic Church. Like he really wanted divorced Catholics to be able to get communion and go to confession. And he, it's too complicated and long to get into, but he kind of called a synod of the bishops and he stacked it with liberals he leaked stuff about what he thought beforehand, but then the conservatives were upset. And then right before they were about to issue their report, he just issued his own thing saying, 
we're just going to make annulment a lot easier everywhere. Like he, he, and that was pretty savvy. I mean, some people don't like it, but some people do. And I guess the thing I think about with Francis is his heart is definitely in the right place. Like he's really, as a parish priest, he really loves washing people's feet on Holy Thursday before Easter. Like he <laughs> likes the people. He likes going out and talking to the disabled. Like he's a real, he seems like a good, he's a mensch. He seems like a good guy. <laughs> and now he's in this position of great power. And he, he's, he's actually made a lot of strides cleaning up the Vatican Bank, I think. And, and he cares about the environment. So all those things are good, but he's caught in a difficult situation because the two popes before him were conservative and they stacked all the people who got to be bishops and everything were conservative. So he has a huge faction of conservatives against him. And then he's up against this terrible truth, which is religions that modernize don't last. They don't last. The religions that stay conservative because of just forcing the women to have more children or allowing them <laughs> to have more children. And also because you're really believing, like once you relax the rules, people leave, you know? So he either has to make the church kind of a hypocritical place, like, like on the subject of divorce, you know, Jesus talked about divorce a couple of times in the gospels where he said it was terrible. Now, I actually think Jesus was saying that from a feminist point of view, that's my own point because the Jews at the time allowed polygamy. So when he was saying a marriage is between one man and one woman for life, he was really kind of defending the women. You know, like he was saying, you can't just get rid of somebody. But that has become this thing about how you can, you can never get divorced under any circumstances. So so there's certain things. That's sort of, that's sort of like the, the ketubah, which is the wedding contract. Yeah. In a Jewish marriage in its time was actually a very radical right. document. Yes, I'm sure. It was saying that a woman can say, I take this off the wall and I go, fuck you, we're done. And now you look at it and it feels very conservative because you're like, I come with my cow and my sheep. But in its <laughs> moment, it was saying like, I have value. Right. And if I want to tear up this contract, I no, can. No, the ketubah. So I mean, there's some people who think it really was the rise of Christianity that forced the Jews to go to the ketubah. Because, um, I mean, it was around, but it wasn't common. But then once the Christians were saying there's just a marriage for life between man and woman, you can't get out of it. It kind of forced the Jews to kind of come up, you know, like it's all com they're all competing for members. And, you know, like they had to kind of rise to the occasion and kind of put the kibosh on polygamy and say, no, no, we believe that too. But of course, now we're in a different time. So, so for Pope Francis to say, oh, Jesus didn't really mean it like that means that these thousands of years of tradition that Henry, mm -hmm. you know, Henry VIII didn't have to leave. Like there's all <laughs> kinds of problems. Like they, they've really doubled down on the marriage thing. You know, it'd be hard to just say, oh yeah, it's okay. Just kidding. And not JK. only that, in Africa where Catholicism is really exploding, where polygamy is still a big issue, it is important to emphasize how marriage is between one man and one woman for life. You know, like that mm. is still in the era of feminist, you know, like, so it's a very comp he's in a very almost impossible situation, I would say. I had the impression that Francis was selected 
in part because his more progressive views would maybe like uh, appease a lot of people who are on the verge of leaving the church. I, I, I mean, maybe this was just my speculating and there's no basis for this, but I was thinking, I thought the thinking behind it might be, we, well, we got to loosen up a little and let people know we're, we're with it. I would just amend that to appear to be loosening up. Sure, sure, sure. It, it really isn't. I don't think it is. I don't know. I, I mean, my feeling about Francis. Yeah, I think that's part of it. They're, the German bishops are the most liberal wing of the church, and they definitely were campaigning for him. Except for Benedict. Well, but he's Polish. Or was he one Austrian? Thing. Oh, Polish. Um, but, okay. Yeah, Benedict. Oh, God. Um, oh, but, man. <laughs> I think they thought, oh, he's a middle ground guy. And you know, they were right. He is a middle ground guy. Like, for example, he talks about the devil all the time. Like Pope Francis totally believes in the devil. Like he, the media doesn't report this. He's constantly saying, you might need an exorcist for that situation. Like he's totally, he thinks the devil is a person. So for him, the devil is not a metaphor. It is no, a very no, it's not an entity. But that's, isn't that the, isn't that doctrine? Yes. But I mean, I don't think John, the, I don't think other popes. I mean, I think I would say this about Francis. He's not an intellectual. Okay. He's not. He's a, he's a, he's like a loving <laughs> priest. He's not going to go down the doctrinal thing. Like Pope Benedict really cared about that in the creepiest ways, in my opinion. But, mm -hmm. but they were going to go there intellectually. Francis is like, Hey, I care about people being helped. I care about bringing people into God's love. I, I care about reaching the people who are poor and suffering and making them feel better. Mm -hmm. And that's all really admirable. But I don't think he sits and goes, wait, how could I, how do I believe in a devil? I think he just goes, yeah, the devil's prowling the earth trying to steal men's souls like isn't that what we say <laughs> like, he, he really believes it's very it. literal yeah <laughs> so this is extremely helpful now i want to go back to and like change our focus to catholicism in american politics because this is something because right now we have this unbelievably catholic president the good he catholic like, too yeah the like, good kind the yes. good catholics okay the good side. okay so can we talk about that like like he's like the seamus haney yes. like like irish catholic so explain that to us in terms of ways of understanding biden mm. like are there things that can be sort of culturally like when you see this man as as somebody who's trying to be a leader as somebody who's trying to sort of perform in a certain way what what is it about him because what we're going to get to on the other side is the huge amount of catholics who don't support yeah him. think of william and barr what's up with bill that? barr bill yes. barr opus day yes i mean like <laughs> So let's start, let's start with Biden. Well, let's start with I don't Biden. know anything special about Biden. I would say I identify with him. If I was somebody who didn't take the time to realize I was an atheist, I would probably be like Biden, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like he identifies as a Catholic. He obviously likes the identity, the rituals and the organization, which of course helped him a lot politically. 
And um, I think he really believes it, which I admire. Like, I think he believes in the what I would call the good part of Catholicism in terms of helping others and all the things in the most positive spin you can give Catholicism. I think he's onto that. And he benefited so from the organization. It's a huge organization. So then just briefly, because there's this little blip of this thing that happened in the 60s and 70s who were like the social justice Catholics, right? Like I, I worked for that when I was living in rural Mississippi for two years there, I was with a couple of like, they weren't religious at all anymore, but that's how yes. they came up. They were like Evanston, Evanston liberals in the yes. late 60s, social justice Catholics going to Mississippi to make the world better. Oh my God. Like, and there's so mm. many wonderful Catholics. I, you know, like I wanted to, I grew up, you know, I'm much older than you, but I was in that era too. That was sort of this post Vatican II, God is love, guitar mass, also meets liberation theology from South America. Like it was so exciting. I mean, that's why I wanted to be a nun. I thought this is the best way that you can help people and you're committing yourself to this cause and I mean like I grew up thinking of nuns as feminists and in many ways they were they they were the choice of not having children not having to be in a relationship or subservient or whatever all that brings with it and living together as women and doing social justice work or teaching like I still have such admiration for those people those women and in fact that the nun on the bus I go to her talks I have her books like I I'm a big nun <laughs> proponent and also those priests I mean Father Boley the guy the sexy priest do I base that sketch on <laughs> he was priest. very much into social justice that's how I even learned about El Salvador and Nicaragua and what was happening and and but now sadly as I study the Catholic Church I almost feel like that was a weird blip in the Catholic Church it wasn't that was a weird convergence of events. The Catholic Church has mostly been like the traditionalists and the right wing of the Catholic Church. That that's what it mostly is. I mean, yeah, you're going to have a Saint Fran of Saint Francis, and you're going to have some wonderful people. Um, I won't say Mother Teresa because I think she's horrible, but um, others well, that people think I'm of her sorry. as a good person. I'm sorry. We we have to at least give a minute or two to ruining mother Teresa then oh my we god can't just gloss she's the over worst <laughs> let's see let's see how efficiently we can do it because I think we could do all it right. pretty quickly right. actually she was kind of like a cult leader oh. she was like oh she was horrible no people I've sat in so many masses because I still sometimes go to mass just to hear what the priests are saying where they talk about mother Teresa like it's just this touchstone it's just this thing you can say like wonderful person and I was wanting to yell at she was a horrible person no she she, she is a metaphor for wonderful person in our like yes. language and culture yeah. like the, he's no mother Teresa is a way of saying he's not a good so person just bottom line she she loved poverty she thought poverty was positive if it was up to mother Teresa the whole world would be po have poverty stricken. She wouldn't let, you know, of course, she was taking care of a lot of AIDS patients. She wouldn't let the partners of the AIDS patients come in. She was making them confess. She kept people in terrible conditions. I mean, they were being taken care of, but they, she was a draconian, the worst version of a Catholic nun, hated homosexuality, hated all sexuality, hated any money at all didn't wouldn't see how poverty was part of the problem of part wouldn't see it in any bigger way and kept terrible 
place is going and people died you know you could say maybe they had a place to die but it wasn't in a loving they were dying yeah. saying i'm so sorry i had a gay experience or whatever i mean she was terrible <laughs> she, she also was really a terrible when, person <laughs> when she was ill got the best medical care that oh, yes. anyone could get. Of she, course. My my uncle actually treated her when she was yeah what? at the at Scripps Clinic, yeah, in San Diego. I have a um I have a little saint's medal that she blessed, but I don't know which saint it is. But <laughs> maybe I can grab it and you can tell me. Um but uh yeah the here's the little story my uncle Larry likes to tell as, as a side note. Um, that he probably embellished, but her, you know, her other nuns, her sisters, her acolytes were there and they kept trying to convert my uncle and, you know, uh, cause they knew he was Jewish and they were saying, don't you understand if you accept Jesus, it's like, um, uh, you have a ticket to heaven. And he said, I already have a ticket. It's just on another airline. Aww. Um, yeah, I'm. So good. I would say, no, you don't. There is no other airline. There's, There's no other. Airline. Exactly. Exactly. He doesn't tell that part of the story. They're like, that's not clever. It's just wrong. Right. Even as, you yeah. know, you may say she, she didn't like money. She was perfectly happy to get the most expensive treatment that the people whose feet she washed and the people who she brought in to uh, minister to, they didn't have access to this treatment that she had. And also, as I understand, she would accept donations for her mission from anyone, oh, regardless yeah. wow. of where that money came from her or and who was everyone behind else it. In the Catholic Church. Yeah. So I'm really, we're doing No, but I feel like I want to defend Pope Francis, though, because I do like him. I feel already (laughs) sad about thinking about who's coming next, because now, maybe it's because I follow all these trad Catholics on Twitter. I, the trad Catholics are going to win. Now, they're going to probably reduce the membership of the Catholic Church even further, but they have things on their side that are really powerful. So then this is something that I want to talk about, because we were talking about the reason that that a bar mitzvah felt like mass to you and part of that was that it's in in hebrew and this is an ongoing thing like what are you going to do and it's something that the muslim religion is facing right like part of being a muslim is doing it in arabic so if you're going to try to expand your religion at a certain point where are you going to go with that and one of the things that i think will help us shift so we've talked about social justice catholicism our catholic president Pope Francis. Now I want to shift to like the trad Catholics because maybe you can explain Ross Douthat. Oh my! Like explain. Yeah, he is so Catholic, and like our Supreme Court justices, many of whom are Catholics, and how they're being used as this proxy for a certain kind of very conservative Christianity. They're not going to put evangelical Christians up there, but they'll put a traditional Catholic in there. A few years ago, it was nuns who were suing against like the ACA because they didn't want to cover birth control pills for their employees and things like that. I feel like very often Catholics and the Catholic Church are used by evangelical Christians uh, to, to try to push their agenda in that way. Now, here's where I'm kind of biased towards Catholicism in that they just have a kick-ass look and culture and history. You know, like they have a romantic connection Mm -hmm. to the history of Western civilization. 
I, you know, like I'm a theater person. You don't, you can't discount those outfits. Those outfits are right? great. Velvet. Okay. It's about velvet. It's about. Because <laughs> I have a little prescription where I feel like this is what I would do if I were Pope. Because I feel like Pope Francis is trying to modernize in a way that most people think of as modern. I would both modernize and go the other way in two completely different directions. But I would have the Latin mass. Now, my argument for the Latin mass is you don't want people knowing what you're actually saying that much. <laughs> the genius of the Latin mass is what are they saying? I'm not, I don't know. I just love the incense yeah. outfits and the Bach and the yeah. choir and the stained glass windows and the beautiful churches. And I, the way I say that, it's like I'm making fun of it. I am not making fun of it. I am saying... That is a huge cultural, psychological powerhouse of imagery and music and place mm -hmm. that I don't want to give up to the trad Catholics. <laughs> you know, like, I think you can have it right. all, actually. I think you can modernize on sexuality. That's the only area that they have problems. They need to let priests be married. They need to let women in. They need to understand homosexuality they need to but the but the instincts are right what they're saying is sex is important people shouldn't be disposable you should be committed to people you should make a sexual relate i mean i guess you could argue about that but let's just give them that sexual relationships <laughs> should be sanctified okay but it, does, it means there can be a whole bunch of different kinds of those relationships and you could I think even based on the gospels that I've read, you like there's really, it's only divorce where Jesus says anything about anything. Homosexuality would be easy to justify. It's not even really mentioned in the in the Bible, hardly, except for in Leviticus, where it just says it's like despicable, along with gossip. Right. And right. bad harvest. Well, gossip like, gossip is a way of, of trying to control women. And that's just it, been the yeah, right. That's that's like, a good that's point. That's just like no, the, the yes, thing in Leviticus I agree. is um a uh, man shall not lie down with man, uh, and the punishment is specified as death. But yeah, but that says a bunch of things, right? Right. The, in the context, if you look at that passage in context, they're talking about like temple worship, and it's it. There's a strong argument that it's specifically referring to temple prostitution as opposed to just homosexuality. Mm. Also, they were looking down on women so much they were really talking about men who were bottoms, <laughs> like that. <laughs> Like I if mean, you were a man probably. who had sex as the man entering the another right. place, um, then that was okay. But if right. you were a bottom, that was humiliating because it was woman like the woman role. You know, yeah. so there's that part of it yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's here's just also a thing, and I've mentioned this a couple of times before because we've talked a lot about the paranoid style in American politics and how he's talking about conspiracy theories in American political history and how one of the things conspiracy theorists do is that they do exactly what the organization they're afraid yes. of does. Well, yeah. Right? So, like, my, my favorite example of this is the KKK, who's like, we hate Catholics, so we're going to wear big velvet <laughs> robes and right. crazy outfits and have these really... And you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, like, it's... There is something about it which is... The theater of it is undeniable. Yes. So that the organizations that are the most against it do the theater of it like perform yeah, the theater of it. that's so great i never thought about that but that's exactly right 
I know yeah. it is. And it is hard to tease apart the conspiracy theory from the real stuff too. Okay. So, so let's talk about Ross Douthat okay, yes. for a second. Cause he is one of the, he's like a thorn in the side because he's just one of those fucking New York times columnists where you like just, even when he was at the Atlantic, I think I stopped subscribing. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. bear it. Like I, and also he's such a bro and I read all of his books and I read all his stuff. But anyway, he's such a like bro, like, Hey, I'm not a perfect Catholic. Sometimes I don't do things right, but it's all great. Yeah. <laughs> We're just striving for being better. And it's like, oh, fuck you. You know, go live in the real world amongst real people. Like, he really, he's the worst kind of upholder of Catholicism. Okay, but what makes him Catholic? Like, what makes his conservatism specifically taste flavor of Catholic? Misogyny. <laughs> um <laughs> That's but not how different. is that different from yeah. it isn't it isn't no but it brings this it brings this is what you know when i lost my faith i couldn't wait to debate my parents went crazy my mother went to the local to our gonzaga where my family's associated with and mm-hmm. wanted the priests to come and convince me you know that there was a god and everything was right with catholicism and i realized that Catholicism only really has the veneer of intellectualism it isn't actually there's no debate i mean there's like you know, they can, they're they really good at getting into the weeds and making using big words to make things so confusing that you drop the argument, um, that kind of pseudo-intellectualism they're good at. But the arguments themselves, they don't have anything. And I think that Ross likes a lot, people like aligning themselves with a quote-unquote intellectual tradition that includes Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine's and all these people who I'm convinced if they were alive today would be atheists. And... <laughs> They like the tradition, they like the European connection, they like the pomp and circumstance of it, and they and they legitimizes their crazy ass misogynistic beliefs in a way that evangelicalism is associated with a lack of education and with being kind of rubes. And that's probably unfair too. Actually, both of it's unfair, but there's this veneer to Catholicism that legitimizes it. And that's what I think he likes. That's my opinion. I think that's what he likes most of all. I think it's a really interesting point. And I think it goes to why there are so many Catholics in politics on the Supreme Court. It's it's easier nowadays, now that the whole allegiance to the Pope thing has dissipated as a concern, it's easier to present the American public with a Catholic who comes from this long intellectual tradition and is part of this organization and hierarchy than a, a an evangelical which is despite how protestantism being so popular in the united states yeah it still feels a little less legit and also there's real educational institutions that are catholic who are legit you know like unlike evangelical yes. universities mm-hmm. that are legit like so notre dame is different for Coney Bryant, what's her name? Coney, whatever her name. Uh, Bonnie no, Carrot. Even Karen. though her beliefs are the same as any <laughs> evangelical who right. hasn't been educated beliefs. I mean, there's a whole conversation in our house because the, there's one uh, really good boys private school in Los oh, Angeles. Yeah. And yes. you know, right? And you're like, but it's different because it's, oh my God, I've had a couple of drinks. <laughs> It's like the intellectual Catholics. Help me, help me. It's the... Uh... But you know what? I would consider sending 
I okay, I might feel with contradictions too, but I kind of regret that I didn't send my daughter to a Catholic school in a way, because I kind of think of it as being inocula, inoculated against fake intellectuals, because I would be listening to everything she said when she got home and told telling her exactly <laughs> what they meant. Because that's what the Catholics are good at, sounding smart, using the big words, using the ecclesiastical language, drawing on ancient philosophy. And really, in the end, having nothing. I mean, they really have nothing. So, okay, you sorry, consider sorry. consider it. It's I Loyola, consider it. Loyola, they're the, the Jesuits. Jesuits. And you're Which like, the Francis. Jesuits are okay. Pope Francis is a Jesuit, yes. right? So the Jesuits, the Jesuits, are, Jesuits don't okay. even like Pope Francis. He was oh, really? <laughs> I mean, now <laughs> people don't know that. But in, South, in Argentina, he was actually kicked out of the, it's kind of more, he's more of an accidental Jesuit in my mind. things I wanted to get back to is this currently the U.S. is leaving Afghanistan hmm. and the Taliban is and it's it's a terrible and terrifying moment and you sent this tweet just recently where you said trad Catholics if the U.S. government could be exactly as you wish it would you make any of these things legal one open homosexuality two divorce three contraception assuming that you'd force abortion underground, and for the non-religious being able to hold office, watching Afghanistan and musing about yeah. here. So like you're basically saying to these people, you are the Taliban. Can <laughs> yes. you see that you are the Taliban? <laughs> my, my audience, friends, like, oddly enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm upset. Well, first of all, just as an aside, Vietnam was an Opus Dei, Knights of Malta thing. It was all the Catholics in South Vietnam. Okay. And the Catholic Church allowed all these huge numbers of Vietnamese to come in, which was great for our country. That was a good thing. We should be doing that with the Afghanis, but the Muslims don't have an Opus Dei, Knights of Malta, powerful thing to allow that to happen mm -hmm. like it was allowed to happen after Vietnam. And that is a tragedy because I think our country, well, most of the people who would be trying to leave Afghanistan are probably more secular because they were aligning themselves with the US. Yes. Because yes. I am worried about just unchecked fundamentalist Muslims coming here, which I know some people would go crazy that I said that, but I do have that fear. I It has nothing to do with Islam. It, I feel it about any religion. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just about that kind of extremist religion. It's not about which religion, but it's a tragedy that we aren't welcoming thousands and thousands of Afghanis into American culture because they would be able to, over 20 years, be able to influence the people back home again. And it's just, every, in every way, it's a tragedy. But yes, the trad Catholics. I've recently come to the realization that I think they're going to win because, because, well, okay, this is why it gets into a bigger thing. Modern life is hard to navigate. Rules make things easier. You don't have to think about everything. You have an identity. You understand your place in the world. And I think as climate change starts to do its work, as we learned from Jared Diamond's collapse, things get a lot more tense around changing climate. And I think that a very strict religion that is entrenched like Catholicism is, is going to become more and more appealing as just giving something for people to hold on to. And I think they're gonna win. I mean, I think that they're going to, the next Pope will be conservative. They're going to reinstitute the Latin mass, which actually I'm for, for the reasons I told you, because no one understands what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I think that's good for them. <laughs> it allows, it allows people to like 
feel their feels without having to no, like exactly yes. you know what that reminds me of have you ever been to granada in spain there's this amazing chapel that has this like incredible floor to ceiling sort of sculpture of all of the saints getting how they were oh, killed yeah. or whatever and one of them it's like the head is cut off and there's like the windpipe just right and it's like it's so graphic and you're like oh this is how they won in this unbelievably sophisticated profound and brilliant secular culture yeah. was they made comic books <laughs> yes. it's like a yes. comic book because nobody could read it's like they weren't getting the literate people no to it's like the them. superhero movies like, of the medieval world yes yes, yes it is i don't appreciate what you both are implying and, about and superhero I'm not movies. Not disparaging them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so let me just say quickly about the american right-wing catholicism Yes. So Opus yes. Day and Knights of Malta get a lot of power. They're in the government. They're in the CIA. They're everywhere. And they're wielding their power. They are the Supreme they, and Court. They, now they, are, are they the have won. Court. I mean, like, let's just say they've won. Okay. Let's go back to someone like Ronald Reagan. <laughs> okay. Yes. So Ronald Reagan yes. is a dopey actor who was the head of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh-huh. And he signed an agreement with MCA where they didn't have to pay any residuals to the musicians. And he also owned a third of MCA or some big amount of it. So he was double dealing. MCA became a huge corporation because of this agreement. And then he was investigated by the government because it was completely illegal, which caused him to be anti-government. So now he's mad at the government. He was also the spokesman for GE, but they canceled his spokesmanship because of the controversy. And he said, what if instead I make little movies about anti-communism and anti-government? And he started doing that. That's right. Then he gave a couple speeches at a couple conventions and they saw that he could really connect with people. And then it was really, it was evangelical, but also evangelical and Knights of Malta, Opus Dei, money Catholics who came to him. And these, you shouldn't even say Catholic, just rich people who don't want to lose their money and want the government for their benefit. Okay. Yes. They approached him and said, why don't you run for office? And he was like, oh, but I don't know anything about politics. And like, we'll do everything. We'll give you all the money. We'll, if you think of a position, we'll hand you a paper on what your position is. And he won and he won and won and won. Mm-hmm. And then that really, Pat Buchanan, all those people created this that wasn't totally Catholic, but very influenced by the organization of Catholicism. And Reagan wasn't Catholic, but it was still a big part of the right-wing Catholic they realized they could win if they worked hard in advance. So that's when the New Heritage Foundation started. They started saying, we're going to get the Supreme Court. It's going to take us 25 years. We're going to have to vet all these candidates. We're going to have to get people signing up for nominating these people for the Supreme Court over these people. And it's a lot of Catholics. And that's kind of how it all happened. I mean, in a nutshell. But I feel like that's the thing that I'm coming across the most from our conversation is that Catholicism at this point has been a long enough lasting infrastructure that people are going to try to use it for their interest. And once you get the people who can have power to Mm -hmm. use it, having an infrastructure that is that deep, that has those beautiful buildings, that has such nice stained glass, (laughs) that has like such a reach, that is the 
that's the power. That's what they're trying to grab. What's really organizational power. I mean, that's what I think. The problem with liberals is they're not organized and they can't, it's like herding cats. Like you can't get everybody focused on one thing long enough to get it passed. Like, well, but it's also the thing where part of the thing about liberals being like herding cats is that our whole thing is like, let's think about this. Yeah, and be don't think. And it's like, don't think, don't be, no, no, but it's the same with, you see it with, particularly with women in the evangelical mm. movements, where the power or the engine behind evangelical movements is the women who fucking write the newsletters Holy and slavery. go and yeah, vote and exactly. organize people. They are the ones who do it. And like, and because they're not going to run things, but when they're given their piece of land, they do run things and they are the engine. They're the ones making the shit happen. And people let them because right. th that's but how it's going to happen for them. But then when the revolution happens, you know, Serena Joy is stuck watching her husband fuck some other woman. Except that, you know, the thing is, yeah. as we know from The Handmaid's Tale, women can benefit from the patriarchy as well, actually. And what of I course. love that you yeah. always yeah. are and saying do. is that men do not benefit from the patriarchy. And that needs to be more known. But yes, women are defending the right of them to have privilege. Those types of women where the patriarchy benefits them in particular, they are fighting for it. Well, but particularly the women benefiting from it are white women. Of yes. course. And this actually brings me to one last thing I want to talk about in terms of the Catholic Church. So one of the things that I learned was that actually the Catholic Church was always the most racially integrated. Oh, interesting. Like the white, there, were the, there was the white Baptists and the right. black Baptists. There were white and black churches. It was separate. The one church that integrated was the Catholic Church. Wow. So I want a just brief, a brief thought about, about race in the Catholic Church. Br a brief. You know what? I really, I'm not educated enough brief. to talk about that. That's a really interesting question. I don't know if I have that much to say about that. I know they, you know, slavery's in the Bible. <laughs> it's all over the Bible. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It is. In, in the Jewish, in the oh, Jewish yeah, Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. That was the whole, and that's the whole thing about Abraham and Hagar and yes. Ishmael, and then it's used in his friend, da, da. It's like the a whole servants. Thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, and um, the, yeah, the legalism <laughs> that you talked about earlier with like, if you're, if your cow kicks a rock or whatever, it was also like, if your cow kicks a rock and it hits your, a, your neighbor's servant, quote unquote, in the head, you know, like, how much, like, is that murder? No, it was just a slave. It doesn't no, count. No, it's 50% murder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's Except in some cases, it's only 20% murder. Um, yeah, yeah. If it's a female servant. If it's a female then you will compensate him with but that yeah. depends did that female servant bear you a right. son right in which case it might be a little different there's so much detail uh was arguing about the bible and abortion which really abortion wasn't even an understood thing and they were saying because of this thing in the bible and i went and read reread it and it was all about how much you owed somebody if you killed someone who was pregnant did yeah. you owe them more that's from exodus and it, that's my, so like, that's my big, what? you want to know what the Bible says about abortion? It says, like, if a man punches a woman and she dies, then he will be put to death because it's like a life for a life. If a man punches a pregnant woman and she doesn't die, but she loses the pregnancy, you'll pay the husband this amount of money. And I'm like, that's the Bible exactly. clearly saying that abortion yeah. is not murder. Well, yeah. but, mm, but that's the other thing about the whole, like, 
abortion baby like i know it just reminds me again of all of those weird things about all of like the witchcraft thing that that's what women were doing the thing i hate most amongst the tribe catholics is and they bring up abortion constantly they're always saying what about 60 million babies that were murdered last year and i always say but there's a lot of people i know who had an abortion and then had another baby later that they wouldn't have had because they were it wasn't a good time for them they got an abortion so shouldn't you count those kids against the number like could we just say that maybe a third of the abortions there are people alive anyway they don't like to think about that but anyway (laughs) so okay when your mom is like freaked out that you were leaving catholicism (laughs) and you have this crew of ladies who are your ladies they are your crew how do you talk about women's issues and women being like equal as humans like, how does that even happen in that conversation? Like, or does it? How? Where does feminism show up in this that's kind That's a really of good question. Well, that's a good question. Amongst my friends, well, I would say half of them are traditionalists. They wanted to be housewives. They became housewives. They had children. And they felt like the deal was a good deal for them. Their husbands went and earned money and brought it home. And they were able to raise their kids. And that was a great system. And then the other half ran into troubles or they didn't want that, you know, and they give some kind of lip service to feminism. You have to now, right? (laughs) Like they're Yeah, like I wouldn't say they are deep thinkers about it, but they are they've lived it though. I mean they you know they they've made lives where they've done what they could. I don't think they this sounds condescending. I don't mean it that way. I really love them all. I don't know how much they realize the ones that wanted to go farther. I don't really think they realize how much social factors kept them away from that, that would make them maybe more radical feminists, but um, they do have a raw, raw girl spirit. I mean, like, but (laughs) yeah, it's, it is, it's complicated. It is complicated. I mean, the truth is it is really like, if you really want to pull the camera back, it is about just controlling women. This, these religions are just about based on misogyny. I mean, It is, you know, like, this is where I'm really a freak, but I really have spent a lot of time learning about pre-agriculture religion, which is mostly goddess-centered, and it seems that, and I used to think this was a conspiracy. I thought these were crazy feminists who made up something in the past, only to find out it was mostly true, that once agriculture came in and wealth it was established because you didn't have to carry any, everything on your back you could establish towns and you could put wheat in the bin and you could say i had more wheat than anyone else they the men started to control things and it also had to do with herding culture and all kinds of things that happened ten thousand years ago that brought in these patriarchal religions that were a lot about and once men realized that they were the fathers <laughs> women like all the stuff that wasn't generally well known it's like these religions came in that i would say the primary purpose were to keep women in their place and beneath men and controlling them and controlling mostly their reproduction i mean well and here's where i have to give another uh shout out to caliban and the witch here's where i have to like shout out know about this Uh, Caliban and the Witch is a book by Silvia Federici, which is basically about how capitalism and its emergence in the post-Black Death era, where all of a sudden working people, there were were so few working people that working people actually had power, 
that the the seeds of capitalism were based in the control of women's bodies and like wow i never thought about that shout out to sylvia federici because this she's talking about medieval era but i think that that is it's very much true oh my god julia this was amazing there's so much i don't know and it's no it's infinitely interesting but you have really taught us a a shit ton which is awesome you guys i love you guys so much you don't even know i really i love going on my early morning walks and listening and i just feel like you're my (laughs) friend so i feel like it makes me seeing you on this that's fantastic like now like i didn't really know what rebecca looked like no don't you can't base it on this and maya you're in my neighborhood i'm gonna start showing up oh i like this idea hello also we're gonna go to the tennis club and have oh my god this tennis club maya keeps talking about all right (laughs) this was amazing we are so anytime. i love you i i think you are our sister our sisters and the next session is going to be atheism because that's a whole world of shit a whole different world into all right we got our work cut out for us all right you guys (laughs) bye well that was fun (laughs) that was fun oh my god that was fucking that was amazing what is that that was fun it's a delight to have guests like that many thanks to julia sweeney for joining us and for being so awesome. Well, it's not just a delight to have guests like that. It is a delight to have patrons like that. I actually, I feel better about myself <laughs> knowing that like she has been listening for years. Yeah. I'm like, if that woman has been listening, then we're doing some good fucking exactly. work here. Exactly. Oh. But it also speaks to like how great all of our listeners are though. We, we oh, have fucking really great good. listeners. Like, these are smart, funny, thoughtful people that join our Patreon. Yeah, and actually on Discord this week, one of our amazing listeners was talking about this actually because we were talking about Afghanistan. One of our listeners, DLA, is dealing with former oh, students God, of yeah, his I read who that. are trying to like get out of Afghanistan. And we are talking about it and, you know, calls to call his representative. And, like, we're having amazing conversations. And if you want to be a part of it, you need to join, become a patron, patreon.com slash sauce podcast. Yeah. Um, we have many membership levels. I think we have three membership levels. We have that's three a, that's many. Levels, but but uh, whatever level you join, everyone gets to join this saw speak easy and have great conversations together so check that out and have fellow patrons like julia motherfucking <laughs> sweeney i'm sorry our 16 year old selves are it's, like there's dying there's definitely an awkward that. thing dying because she's not that much older than we are we are like basically the same no. age as julia sweeney but there's this weird like when we were in high school we used to literally just imitate you <laughs> yeah we would just watch yeah. you on saturday night live yeah. and then quote your sketches just, there was a little yeah, bit of a worship to thing. each other there's a worship mm-hmm. thing going on mm-hmm. and yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well now it's mutual so, so 
now now it's there's mutual adoration and she's going to be back to talk about the culture of atheism in a little bit i am super looking forward to that one (laughs) i know i know you are so listeners join our patreon if you're looking just for moi you can find me at my garants anywhere you are looking for and you can find me as at Gynostar, G-Y-N-O-S-T-A-R on all the various platforms. And you can email us. We are saucepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all the different social medias as at saucepodcast. Tell us all the things you want to tell us about Catholicism and your feelings. About I would like to know. We'll get into it. Clearly, Julia is going to get into it with you, and we are here to support that. Uh, So we will be talking to you guys next week. Until then, adios, amibas.